We're going to ask you now to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. It's going to be towards the back of your Bible. Last week, we began this series in 2 Peter that we've entitled Faithful to the End. While you are turning there, I would remind those of you who are with us physically here this morning that if that you would complete a bridge card. It's an orange and white card right there in front of you in the back of that seat. And that is a way for us to take attendance um, and to be able to track you in case or get in touch with you in case you um, we need to inform you of someone's sickness from coronavirus, from COVID, excuse me. So, Second Peter, we're in chapter 2, Second Peter chapter 2. Last week, Pastor Dominic was with us. Oh, sorry, Pastor Brain is here this morning. Hey, it's hard out here for a preacher. Second Peter chapter 2. Let me just read the text. Y'all tripping this morning. Second Peter chapter 2. We'll read the whole chapter. And as is our custom, we ask that you would stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Second Peter chapter 2. Reading starting at verse number 1. If you don't have a physical copy of God's word or you're not able to swipe there on your phone, we do have it on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, 
born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Those are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last thing has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the soul, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The word of the Lord. You may have your seats. On last week, as I said, Pastor Dominic preached to us. He told us that in the beginning of 2 Peter chapter 1, the Lord has given gifts to his church. The first was the gift of justification, us being declared righteous by the Lord of our God. We have the same faith that the apostles had because of Jesus Christ. Our faith is equal in standing with them. We have been justified. That's the first gift. But then he also told us that we have the gift of glorification. Because in first Pe 2 Peter chapter 1, he says that we are partakers of the divine nature. Beloved, we have the blessing and the promise that one day our bodies will be glorified just as Christ's body was glorified when he rose from the dead. Beloved, this wonderful truth is that when we see Christ, we will be like him. These bodies that are wasting away will no longer be like that. That was the second gift. And so he told us that what we are called to do in light of these gifts from God is to make every effort to confirm our calling and election. We are to pursue Christ-like righteousness. 
And beloved, I do want to share with you that God, when it comes to our sanctification, our growing in our faith, us becoming more like Christ, God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. Oh, I'm preaching in here. It's been a couple of weeks and I'm ready. We can never earn favor with God. He is too holy and we are too unholy. His ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. We don't have what it takes to earn favor with God. But we can make every effort to be more like Christ as we cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in us and he empowers us and convicts us of our sin to, and he helps us to be more like Christ. Everything we need to be holy, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do and we do that in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. That's how we make every effort. We fight against sin, and pursue Christ-like righteousness. And what we learned last week is that we have the inspired word of God. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in 2 Peter chapter 2. He's talked about the inspired word of God and the prophets who revealed God's word to us. Then he starts with that contrasting conjunction in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, but false prophets rose among them. He says, just like that, there will be false prophets among you. One of the things that we'll learn, we'll finish 2 Peter next week when we study chapter 3. One of the things that we will learn is that one of the, what they were teaching was that Christ would not be coming back. And now he takes the time right in the smack dab of the middle of his letter to talk to us and to teach us and warn us about false teachers. And I believe that to be a timely word. Because just a couple of weeks ago, a certain group of Christians whose music you know, Bethel, had a service where they were binding and loosing racism and they performed that act off of Lord of the Rings. They had a staff on stage and quoted Lord of the Rings, saying racism had to pass. They said they were using their apostolic authority. Yeah, you'll hear them on Caleb, some of their songs. Beloved, we need to be aware. One thing that I would wish is that for those of you who have access to TBN, it would be to turn it off. It's full of false teaching. And so what Peter wrote in the first century is relevant for us today. 
Let's see. The first thing that Peter wants us to see is the danger from within. Look, look at the threat that's inside. Here, here's what I'm saying. Let me, let me back up and give you some context. In the previous section, chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says that the apostles made known the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, not with cleverly devised myths, but it was based on what they actually witnessed with their own eyes. In addition, we now, they back then, had the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And so they would do well to pay attention to it. And they should pay attention because that prophetic scripture came from men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophecy that came from the prophets, we would say, was inspired. It was God-breathed. It came from the very mouth of God. It is truth because it comes from God who is truth. Thus, Peter's point is that men can know Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Savior because of God's inspired word. That's how chapter 1 ends. He says, now... But you have to remember, just as those prophets prophesied in the, uh, uh, to Israel, false prophets arose among the people of Israel. And he says, just like they arose among the people of Israel, so will false teachers be among you. Notice that in both instances, with Israel and the church, False prophets and false teachers, he says, came and will come from among you. The danger for the church when it comes to knowing Christ and following Christ is not from without, but from within. The greatest threat to our faith is not outside the church, but inside the church. That's the threat inside. Look with me also at the teaching introduced by these false teachers. He says they will secretly bring in destructive heresy. In other words, they will come in alongside others and cunningly and secretively start teaching false doctrine. That's what's so dangerous about false teachers, beloved. They don't declare their beliefs outright. They don't just come up and say, by the way, I'm a heretic. They do it secretly. They give alternative views and interpretations. They pretend to be orthodox. They use traditional vocabulary. They go through all the motions, but their hearts and minds are far from the truth. Here's what this great heresy of these false teachers is. He says they deny the master who bought them. That's the heresy. They deny Jesus Christ. But watch this. 
They denied him not just by their teaching, but what chapter 2 is actually about is how they denied him through their behavior. They denied his lordship. Notice they, he says they denied the master, the sovereign lord. And this was evident in their lifestyle. They refused to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is serious business. If Jesus, who? If Jesus is not Lord, Jesus is not Savior. You cannot have Savior without having Jesus as Lord. If he is not Lord, then he is not God. And if he is not God, then he doesn't qualify to be Savior. So as a result, Peter assures his readers that they will face swift destruction. It will come. It will come suddenly. Beloved, false teaching comes with a price. Look with me now at their impact. Verse 2, Peter says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Friends, the fact that many follow the evil example of their conduct it's proof that people would rather follow what's false rather than what's true. People would rather follow the sensual rather than the spiritual. That word sensuality can also be translated self-abandonment. It refers to a lack of self-constraint which involves one and conduct that violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. The, these false teachers were essentially living however they wanted to and giving into whatever desires were aroused. And Peter says, because of this loose living, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, he's saying their way of life brings disgrace to the name of Christ. Counterfeit Living devastates the witness of Christ. Few things, beloved, hinder the cause of Christ like the bad reputations of professing Christians. That's the danger within. Remember, Peter says, I believe it's in verse 2, that these false teachers are going to face swift destruction. Here's the issue, though. We say he says that they're going to face swift destruction, but that destruction does not seem to be coming. So how swift is the... Are we sure God's really going to destroy these false teachers is, what, is the argument that could be made. So Peter addresses that. In the next section, look with me now, we move from the danger within to the destruction that waits. If we look at the second part of verse 3, Peter says that their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. 
Peter assures his readers that the destruction of the wicked is not due to God's inactivity or slumber. He makes it abundantly clear that their destruction is surely coming and it will be sudden. Peter says, all right, you don't believe me. Let me call three witnesses. First witness he calls is he says, remember, verse 4, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. We immediately have to ask ourselves, just good Bible study, is which angels are Peter referring to in this verse? Some have said that he's referring to the angels that followed the rebellion of Lucifer, the devil in heaven. That's one way of looking at it. Others say that, he, that Peter probably is referring to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Here's how Genesis 6, 1 and 2 reads. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, remember that phrase, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The sons of God oftentimes in the Old Testament referred to the angels. Based on that, some would argue that Peter, because if we look at the other two examples that Peter uses about destruction that came for ungodliness, he comes, he uses examples from the book of Genesis. Thus, he must also be using, this example must be from the book of Genesis. Genesis 6 talks about angels having relations with the daughters of man, and God was displeased with that. So, some believe that this reference to the angels is likely from Genesis chapter 6. This, this would also make sense because other historical writings and Jewish tradition also affirm the interpretation that the sons of God in Genesis 6 referred to the angels. Thus, fallen angels had sexual intercourse with the daughters of man, and this was against God's will, so God decided to judge them for their sin. How did angels have relations with human beings? I don't know. What was the punishment, though? They were sent to hell and chained until the final judgment. God gave them what they deserved. Whether you believe Peter here is talking about the original fall of the angels in heaven or whether he's talking about this incident in Genesis 6, Peter's point is that God destroyed them, judged them, and gave them what they deserved. They were destroyed because of their wickedness and rebellion against God. That's the first witness. The second witness comes from, also comes from Genesis chapter 6, where he recounts the ancient world that was destroyed by flood because of their wickedness and evil hearts. In this example, Peter does something differently than he did from the first example. He says, 
Seven others, including and, and, and Noah and seven others, were preserved and protected from judgment. So judgment came on the world, but eight people were protected and preserved. The question that we must ask ourselves is, why was the rest of the world not preserved? I think the answer is found in the description of Noah. He was a herald of righteousness. In other words, he was a preacher that called people to repent of their wickedness and follow the way of God. And if they failed to repent, they would be destroyed by flood. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. They were not saved because Noah was a preacher, but they were saved because they responded to the message that Noah was proclaiming. here's an important point. Faith in both under the old covenant and the new covenant is always the means by which God saves his people. From the beginning of time, people are saved by grace through faith. Question, how do we receive faith? I'm glad you asked. Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The message is proclaimed and it awakens faith in the heart of those who believe. And today, friends, I need you to hear the message of the gospel. God is holy, you are unholy because of sin, and as a result, you stand under God's righteous judgment, which is death. However, the good news is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took your punishment by dying on a cross and was buried in a grave, but rose victoriously from the grave, you will be saved from God's wrath. The process is always hear, believe, be saved. The result, if you don't do that, is you reject the truth of the gospel and you will face God's righteous judgment. There is a third example of the destruction of the ungodly. He mentions Lot the nephew of Abraham who lived among the ungodly in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of the wickedness of these cities, God destroyed them by fire. Peter makes it clear that this is an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Y'all doing all right this morning? Because see, we don't like this kind of preaching in teaching anymore. We don't like the preacher talking about sin and judgment and dare I say hell, but there cannot be any gospel if we don't understand sin. And this is a timely message because the past, one of the pastors of the largest churches in America, Joel Osteen, went on TV and said he does not like to use the word sinner. He said, people already know how bad they are. 
And that's reflected in his preaching because people, when they leave this church, they have said, I didn't, it is secondhand knowledge. They have said, I just feel so much better. But yet, they haven't, why? Because they haven't been confronted with their sin, their depravity, their corruption, their sin nature. Beloved, we cannot appreciate and glorify God for the cross if we don't know what sent him there. So Peter says, what happened to Solomon Gomorrah is an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Friends, I beg you to hear the point that Peter is making. Ungodliness leads to destruction. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. So Peter's point is that if God judged in the past, he will certainly do it again. There is good news. Gospel. You can be saved from destruction by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, that's why I couldn't stay in my seat this morning when we were singing, saved, 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 because I just, all I see is Christ on the cross in my place. And I know how low down Brandon can be, but yet God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die in my place. And so when I hear that song, all I can do is rejoice and say that I'm saved, saved, saved. If you're struggling for joy this morning, maybe you need to meditate and gaze at the cross of Christ to know how loved you are. So there's a word for those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ is that you can be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. But there is a word also, I think, in these warnings for those of us who are believers as well. Look at what it says about Lot. It says, Lot was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Here's the question I have for us this morning. Are we like Lot? Does sin torment our soul? Or have we become so cozy with sin that high-handed wickedness has no effect on us? Have, Have we become so, have we become indifferent to wickedness? Or does it grieve our heart? Beloved, there should be an unsettling in our souls when we see and hear of wickedness and unrighteousness. So Peter makes his point. Finally, in verse 10, he says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. But he also knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The question for every person that ever walks on the face of the earth is are you preserved or are you under God's judgment? And everyone is either being preserved or you're under God's punishment. And beloved, there is no middle ground. 
So I, given the certain destiny of the ungodly and the godly, I think Peter's desires for followers of Christ to remain steadfast to sound doctrine and not follow the teachings of false teachers. Finally, the last section of chapter 2, Peter gives us the description of these wicked teachers. He, he, he gives us the clues for how to detect a false teacher. He says, first of all, they slander. Look, 10, verse 10, the B clause, he says, they are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. In verse 10, the teachers are said to blaspheme Blaspheme the glorious ones. The word blaspheme means to slander, which is to speak in a dis disrespectful way that demeans, denigrates, and maligns. These false teachers are said to slander the glorious ones. You ready? Question. Who are these glorious ones? I'll give you the mic. Let me help you by giving you some views. One view is that these glorious ones are fallen angels. They are thought to be angels for sure because he calls them glorious ones. Doxa in the Greek where we get the word glory or glorious. So, he, so the thought is that, that these have to be angels. Furthermore, they are thought to be fallen angels because of a parallel text or a similar text in Jude 9. I didn't tell you this part. Many scholars believe 2 Peter and Jude are very similar, and they are. Some even think Peter used Jude, the book of Jude, to write this epistle. Jude is literally one chapter. They're actually are no chapter marks in Jude. It's only verses. So I encourage you to read it this week. It won't take you long at all, a few minutes. Indeed, if you read it, you will see that there are many similarities between these two books. Here's what Jude 9 reads. But when Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. If we keep reading into verse 10 of the book of Jude, we hear even more similar language to 2 Peter. He says, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So, Based on Jude 9 
and because they use the term glorious, or Peter uses the term glorious here, some believe that the glorious ones have to refer to fallen angels. A second view says that these glorious ones refer not to fallen angels, but to holy angels, unfallen angels. And the reason they say that this refers to the good angels is because that would be uh, the normal understanding of the term glorious. Glorious normally refers to holy beings rather than unholy beings. So it makes no sense for Peter to use that term, glorious, to refer to unholy beings here. There is a problem with this view, though. The problem with this view is that Peter mentions another set of angels who are said to be greater in might and power than the previous mentioned glorious ones. So we have to ask ourselves, if these are the good angels, what other angels would there be that are greater than these good, unfallen angels. So for this reason, there's a third view. The third view is that these glorious ones are the apostles and church leaders. And that would make sense given the hierarchy in the passage. Angels would be greater in might and power over any human being. The problem with this view is that the term glorious is never used to refer to apostles or church leaders. You can pick whichever one of those views you want to. Whatever one you choose, what we can conclude about these views, one is that we cannot be certain of the interpretation of this verse. If I had to choose, I would lean towards the first view, which makes the glorious ones fallen angels. They were created gloriously. So it seems that Peter, what Peter is doing here is rebuking false teachers for slandering falling angels by passing judgment on them, which is God's prerogative and not theirs. These false teachers are bold and arrogant by trying to take the place of God. And therefore, Peter says that they are like irrational animals who are only born to be caught and destroyed. And these false teachers, he says, they act like they know about matters which they have no knowledge. And we see this behavior in false teachers. Even today, I'm calling another name. People like Joyce Meyer, who says that she gets new revelations beyond what the Bible reveals. These false teachers claim to be experts and have certainty about matters on which they really have no knowledge. Peter says they will suffer wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Now, let me make something very clear because I've started naming names and some of y'all are going to be mad at me. And that I really don't care about. 
I do, I don't want to be guilty of what these false teachers are, which is pronouncing judgment on some of the people that I've named. I'm not judging them regarding their salvation. But I am judging their false teaching. I'm convinced that these false teachers in 2 Peter were unsaved. They claim to be professors. Uh, they profess faith in Christ, but really they were not. I'm convinced of that in 2 Peter. Some of the people that I've named today, I have no idea. But I can tell you that some of those teachings are in error. We good? Good. How do you spot a false teacher first? He says, uh, by their slander. But then he also says by their sensuality. Verse 13, he says, they counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. The word revel refers to a lifestyle that engages in a fast self-indulgence. And he says that this self-indulgence, this is how bold and arrogant they are, is not done under the cover of the night but they do it in the light of day. They have no shame. He says, verse 14, that they have eyes full of adultery and satiable for sin. They have an appetite for sin that cannot be satisfied. It was so bad, y'all, that they would do their reveling while they feasted with other believers. By the way, this feast that Peter's referring to is likely the love feast, which was a meal that believers shared together with one another. And around this, and during this feast, they would partake of the Lord's Supper. And so Peter is saying, around the table of the Lord, they use that time for displaying their wealth and for impressing people. Second or third characteristic, greed. Verse 14, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. When he mentions unsteady souls here, he's likely referring to new immature believers. And these false teachers, what they do is they lure weak Christians to giving them money to them because these false teachers have hearts trained in greed. They are interested in one thing, more money, more money, more money. This is still the case today. False teachers today, they tell listeners to send them a certain amount of money, a check, and in return, they'll receive a blessing cloth. Anointing oils that will miraculously heal diseases. Y'all, and with that money, they live large. They buy large houses, luxurious cars, designer clothing that is only worn by wealthy celebrities. Finally, he says, another way you can spot a false teacher it's because they are slaves to freedom. Mm-hmm. Verse 19. They promised them, their listeners, the false teachers, promised those who follow them freedom. 
He says, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. In other words, Peter is saying that these false teachers promise freedom from obedience to Christ. We call them antinomians. Anti-no-law. Namas in the Greek is law. So they're anti-law, and so they live however they want to. But Peter says it, the exact opposite is happening. They are not free. They are slaves to corruption. These false teachers taught a theology that allowed people to take advantage of God's grace. They gave permission to people to disobey the commands of Christ. They taught that for a man to be free means that he is free to sin as much as he wants because grace will cover it. So Peter says that going back to their old way of life after coming to the knowledge of Christ is worse than before. So what? And then I'm done. First of all, I think what Peter wants us to do is to beware of false teachers. But then, I think something that we need to, to take from this is that we need to take teaching seriously. That's a word for teachers. I believe it's James chapter 3, verse 1. He writes, not many of you should become teachers my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teachers, preachers, pastors will be held accountable for what they teach. So this is not to be entered in lightly. Secondly, I think we need to be, have discerning spirits when it comes to teachers. Here's what Scripture says. Beloved, this is 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Discernment. Beloved, everything that sounds good is not good in sound. 
we can get so caught up on a turn of a phrase or a cliche, and we think, oh, that's got to be true. Take what they say and compare it to what has been revealed in God's word. And if what they say doesn't line up with the word of God, then they are in error, not the word of God. We have to have a discerning spirit. And by the way, you cannot judge the uh, veracity of a teacher based on their following. You cannot believe that a teacher has to be right because they are on radio or on television or published books. Satan knows more scripture than any uh, Christian that has ever lived. And yet he is the father of lies. And his aim is to kill, steal, and destroy. Just because someone has thousands upon thousands of people in their congregation does not mean that they are a true, genuine teacher. You better learn to test the spirit. The text, 2 Peter says, many will follow them. Because they don't confront them with their sin and call them to holiness in the power of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. This is God's word to us. The greatest threat to the church is from within, not from without. Lastly, so what? How we live matters. Everything we say, do, and don't do will come under the microscope of Christ in heaven. We all will have to give an account to Christ for what we do and for what we don't do, for our obedience and our disobedience. He says these false teachers, they will face destruction because of their ungodliness, because of their way of living. How we live matters. How we live won't save us, but how we live does give evidence that we are saved. You will know them by their fruit. This is God's word to us. Worship team, y'all come back. 